This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. Hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, another podcast in our series number two for UK Coaching's Coach Developer Conversations. Uh, My name is Marianne Davies, and I'm a senior coach developer with UK Coaching. And today I have the absolute honour and pleasure to be talking to Lucy Moore from Sport England. The the conversation is going to be around this um, blog article that she wrote recently that's had uh, justifiably a superb response, and that uh, is titled, Where Are All the Female Coaches? So uh, could you introduce yourself for us, Lucy? Yeah, thanks, Marianne. So um, I'm Lucy. I am a coach and a coach developer, and I'm fortunate enough to work full-time in sport and physical activity um, at Sport England um, as head of professional workforce at the moment. Okay, so um, so the first thing that uh, I'd like to ask you is, um, why why did you write the blog article or where did the inspiration come for writing the article? Because I know when you said it that you, um, it sounded like it wasn't something you do all the time. So you said that you were taking, doing something really brave. So it was obviously something different and something that you felt quite strongly about, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, as I sort of said in the intro of the article, I li- quite literally woke up in the middle of the night and... Uh, felt compelled to go and start writing something down. Um, preceding that, I've been involved in a number of different conversations in a number of different capacities. So I'm, I'm involved with uh, GB Hockey as a coach and, and I'm part of a female coaches group there. I also, from a work perspective, are involved in lots of conversations with UK coaching, UK sport, um, and had sat on a, a group with the Australian Institute of Sport talking about this topic because they were wrestling with it as well. Um, obviously internally at Sport England we've got uh, a priority around getting more women active and getting more women into volunteering and coaching and then from a personal perspective it is something that I've thought long and hard about as a female coach and and now coach developer and I think I just had a lot of different conversations all going around at the same time and and I just wanted to get something out which articulated how complex it is and how um it isn't straightforward to solve and I don't think anybody yet has got the answer and and it was really a beacon to put out there to see who's doing what who's interested in that and and just start the conversation which has led to a number of other conversations and this is even a conversation on a series of conversations so it's been incredible the response um but yeah that's where it that's where it came from Yeah, thanks. And this this is a conversation on a series of conversations. So just to, to put that in context, we at UK Coaching um, used your blog article as the um, basically as, as the sort of centerpiece of our coach developer conversation uh, sort of webinar open workshop that we have one, once a week last week. Um, and that was great. We had a, a, a big group, uh, lots lots of women, that uh, many regulars, a few that were new to the group who had seen that and were really excited about having an opportunity to discuss, um, you know, some of the things in it. Uh, and, and thankfully, actually, lots of, uh, we did have lots of male coaches as well. Um, and, and some of the things they picked up, we'll, we'll sort of, I'll ask you some questions about that later, actually, but there was some, you know, I 
I learned a lot having that conversation as well. There were some really fascinating things in there. And most of the guys on the call also said it was really interesting for them to actually listen to a female perspective. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and I think that's part of it. It's, it's putting the topic on the table and getting a range of opinions because, you know, in reality, each of us can only talk to our own experience and the nature of our own experience until we start asking other people about how they found it and what, what they know and who they've spoken to and everything else. So I'm very conscious that I, I can only attest to my own experience and anything else will be an assumption. So until I can find out other people's, I, I don't really have a complete picture. Yeah, for sure. And like you say, it's such a complicated it's such a complicated subject. So some, some of the things that came up, um, I'll go through the ones that I kind of expected that, that, that came up there. So a big one was that um, much, of the, much of the coaching that happens in clubs tends to be uh, voluntary. And by that nature, because women, women often end up doing much more of the sort of pastoral care, you know, work in the house as well as working full time, they are less likely to be in a position where they can join in with the sports or they're, they're less likely to feel confident in doing that. So was that something that you, you expected? Yeah, and it, uh, definitely. Um, I think the, the history of each sport will be, it would be interesting to understand. Um, so I guess that part of it, we make these assumptions based on societal norms, which doesn't necessarily reflect the volunteering population of, of the individual sports. So it would be really interesting for sports to look at what are the particulars of their context. And if that is a challenge, look at how might we encourage more women to volunteer? When are these opportunities? How are they marketed? Who are they marketed to? What barriers might people face in taking that first step? So sure, I, I, I would understand where that has come from. And I'm almost certain that for a lot of sports, that history is, is there. Um, I guess I would caution against making the assumption that that is why there are no women in high performance coaching or something because sometimes we make these leaps from different contexts and then that's why I guess I was trying to articulate with the article that yes childcare responsibilities and things are huge um, and but equally even stepping into a club environment as a volunteer there might be other things at play which stop women um, getting involved it might not just be as because they, they can't be there. They might even be there just standing on the side, but for whatever reason, they don't feel like they can... They haven't joined offer, in. They haven't offered themselves forward. So it's so even that. So I do, I agree, definitely. Um, yeah. And we had two, so the, one of the first table I was on, we had a mixture of some um, outdoor activities that were sort of quite male, rugby and equestrian sports, which of course are completely different and are very female yeah. dominated, particularly at the lower levels. And the conversations there were quite interesting. So the, the equestrian coaches were saying that, that two things, really. One is that little girls can dream of being an elite equestrian rider. Yeah. So there's almost permission straight away to do that. It's okay for them to jump around badminton or, you know, do dressage in a way that they sort of maybe in my era <laughs> wouldn't have been thinking about being a rugby player you know, yeah. or doing more adventurous activities. But the other thing is that also within that environment, it's sort of culturally okay for the kids to be with you. So while you're coaching, the kids can hang around and be with you. So the whole structure of 
their environment is actually quite different. Uh, so again, it goes back to that complexity. There's lots of, there's so many different things in there that make it a different environment. At the other end of the scale, we had rugby and we, and these guys were saying, the coaches were saying that the women rugby players didn't want female coaches because they didn't think they would have the technical and tactical knowledge because they wouldn't have been playing as long as the men because it was a, a sport that was you know, newer to a female participation group. So, yeah, I'd be interested in some of your thoughts. There's on some, some, so there's some really fascinating bits in, in both of those. Um, and like I say, that's why I put the article out in such a way that I want to be curious about the nature of their own environment, whether that's a national governing body, a funding agency, a specific sport, a club or whatever. Like, be curious about what, why it is the way that it is right now and, and not to pass judgment, but just to understand why it might have come to pass. Um, there's some really interesting research coming out of Leeds Beckett University with regard to um, female coaches. And certainly I've had a number of women who are high-performance female coaches talk to me about their experiences in almost athletes having a, a questioning their ability or, or being like they had to prove themselves to their athletes because even the athletes were conditioned in such a way to believe that a certain kind of coaching or leadership style or um, that men would have more understanding because the game was new or whatever, exactly as you've described, that the coaches feel the pressure and in some cases the athletes would articulate as such. Um, and that in itself opens a whole a whole nother can of worms about what what do we see the role of a coach is are they there to be that technical tactical expert what do we actually want from them and what does that mean in different settings is it different in community and high performance so you start to unravel um just by looking at the lens of of female coaches you start to unravel so many questions about coaching and coaches as a as a broader as the broader concept so yeah I've, I've definitely had people have similar conversations with me I've seen pieces of research which would back that up um, and it's certainly something that, that people could explore further mm. I I think you know my own experience as well very much the same so within an adventure sports thing I get asked questions like am I strong enough to rescue somebody in this scenario whatever being female or um, you know I turn up a, a coach education training or assessment and they asked me where the course director is not for any other reasons just that they, they've never seen a female course director which you know I, I, I find quite um quite sad now you know if that's still the case but that's just their experience um now one of the things I'm interested in is if we if we sort of have a look at those lenses and sort of almost clean those lenses a little bit and start um, making changes, like you say, in maybe what are the expectations of what a coach does, what coaching is, um, who it's for. Um, do you think that that will also open it up, not just to women, but to other people and other groups who at the moment don't perceive themselves to be included or represented within the coaching? Yeah, and I think so it's certainly something that I wanted to articulate in the article and I don't know whether it came out strongly enough is that for me a lack of women is a symptom of a broader problem you know it, it should just be a, a massive red flag to all of us who we all are part of the sports system whether I have this job tomorrow or whether I'm just a volunteer sports coach I would still be pursuing this because 
we are all the sporting ecosystem um and it should be a massive red flag to us like if if women make up more than 50 percent of the population and they're not turning up in these spaces we need to ask why there and we also need to ask who else is not there so so what are the barriers that we're putting in that actually immediately disadvantage somebody who's got a disability so if if rescuing people comes under the job of the coach then people who've got a physical impairment might not be able to fulfill that function but they might be absolutely blinding coaches so is there a way that we can still involve them in our environment as coaches in some capacity and actually find a way that somebody else fulfills that life-saving function because those two jobs are not the same job they're two different jobs and we just have to try and think where are we trying to lump these into one person and who are we missing out on so thinking about where do we put on our our training development and what requirements do people have to have you know are we disadvantaging people who can't travel if you don't have a car and all of your sessions are in a remote remote rural location how are, how are people going to get there um equally when we're marketing if we look around and all of our coaches are white like that's that's a problem and then we need to start to understand why that is so I had amazing, an amazing conversation with a lady called Yashmin, who's part of the Muslim Sports Association, and she's been really proactive in trying to get more Muslim women into coaching. And immediately through her work, she found that actually thinking about how courses were structured and where they structurally happened um, was the key to getting more people there. And then she had to look about right, what are the exit routes and how do they represent um, an appropriate place for those women to go to. But it was very simple in lots of ways to just say, right, instead of doing three weekends back to back, we'll split, split it over some, some evenings. And instead of trying to host it at a community facility, we'll just use the mosque sports hall. Like it was so straightforward in, in lots of ways, but also so incredibly um, innovative. So the solutions don't necessarily have to be wildly expensive or way off piece. It's just realizing what the problems are and being brave enough to just do things a bit differently yeah no that's uh that that's a really good example and it's made me uh, made me think about one um that we i think it was fencing that some um, muslim group were doing um that they showcased at the uk coaching uh i think it's a research conference and they actually took those classes to their sort of shopping mall, part, you know, sort of a space that those women had access to and normally went to. So it was a space within a space that they already felt um, they belonged to and that they could access. Uh, and I thought yeah. that was really fascinating. Yeah, I, I remember uh, uh, many years ago, uh, I tried to set up a, something uh, where local kids in North Wales could learn to kayak in their swimming pools by getting boats in the pools and training the staff. And, and, and it was, um, initially I got quite a bit of kickback, but then a lot of support. And the kickback was like, but that's not outside. It's not, you know, that's not what it's voting's all about. And, and I was like, well, they don't speak English and all the coaches are English. So that's a massive barrier. They're not used to being outside. It's not their safe space. They all go to the swimming pool already. They understand, you know, we're meeting them where they are by providing them with an activity in their own community, in their own an environment that they already feel familiar and safe with. 
people that, that are part of their community. So we trained some of the local women as well from the council estate to be coaches and they were amazing. But they had so many barriers initially from the some of the guys, not all of them. And 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 other people, you know, saying, well then they'll never be elite. So doesn't matter, <laughs> you know. Um yeah, so I it would be interested um It'd be, it'd be nice to hear some other examples, actually, from you, if you have them, of, of, of just some ways in which we could be maybe um, a little more creative in, in making coaching more accessible. Yeah, so I think there's a lot, without giving specifics, there's a lot that we could um, learn from the way that we are starting to approach getting more people active. So I think historically um, we've approached coaches like we would a facility and I include funding agencies in that. So we think we need this brick and we need this brick and we stick it together like that. And uh, it needs to meet these health and safety uh, requirements and in 10 years time, we'll give it a lick of paint. So we've approached them like we have, like we would a facility. And actually that takes you down a very much a compliance yeah. direction and actually if we look at how we've got into either developing athletes if you're thinking about how people progress or people fulfill their potential or you think about how you recruit people into participation programs and activities um there are some real nuggets in go- of gold in there so once you start to think about coaches as people you start to think about right well who are we going after why would they want to do this activity when would we put it on? How much is it going to cost? How are they going to get there? What kind of picture are we putting on our marketing materials? You know, how are they going to continue participating? There's no point doing six weeks of back to netball and then trying to funnel someone into a, into a first team and charge them 250 quid to be a full member. You, that, so from a participation point of view, we wouldn't take that approach. We think, right, back to netball, they want to do something recreational, fun, friendly, midweek. Maybe at some point we might look at some kind of competitive outlet for them, but we wouldn't shove that on them straight away. Um, We think about the ancillary support. Maybe we put a childcare on the side. You know, you could, if you you thought about it in that way and thought about coaches as people, you, we've got lots of ideas that we could easily translate to how we look at a coach um, getting involved and progressing that we could we could draw upon so I think actually without giving you know name specifics the principles that I see working well are where people have approached coaches as people just like they would a participant or an athlete so yeah that would be I would take that conversation yeah I, while I was listening to you, I was just thinking about an, another, uh, um, something else that I sort of keep playing around with uh, as a coach developer in that we, we sort of have this idea or we're sort of changing the way in which we approach um, skill development for our athletes. But then the, the structure of the coaching programs still looks like somebody kicking balls around a line of cones. You know, it goes yeah. up context. They go and do this amount of stuff. You expect, you think it's going to stuck. You're not really thinking about how they learn or remember. There's no concept of motivation and engagement. There's, um, there isn't really any understanding that the coach, um, you know, needs to explore and make mistakes and be creative as a coach in the same way as they do as a learner because that's they're still learning. They're learning a craft. And one of the things that um, uh, that's made a difference, I think, within my coaching over the, the last probably five years, maybe a bit longer, is, is me 
you know, really verbalizing, especially to the female coaches that I work with who don't want, they kind of go, oh, well, I learned by watching. And I'm like, oh no, VAK is one of my soapboxes. Okay, I'm not going to do it, go there. How do I how do I get them engaged? You know, what is behind that? And actually some of that is that they don't want to make a mistake. And they, and, and they, and they genuinely believe that if they watch long enough, they'll work out what it is they're supposed to be doing and what they, the perfect coaching answer is. Yeah. And that's part of, um, I suppose in my paper that, that how it becomes into like, who, what do, what do we want these people to do? Like, if, if we fundamentally want them to be completely correct all the time to give us all the right information, uh, like one, I don't think that's possible, but even say it is, that's going to appeal to people and it's going to be quite uh, high anxiety. But if we accept that coaches are humans and they're trying their best and they're there to try and help others and they are still learning and we will continue to be learning for the whole of our coaching careers and um, that, that we have to give them space to make mistakes. And the challenge is that it's, it's like, uh, it's like learning to fly an airplane, you know, the problem with coaches making mistakes is they have someone else's experiences in their hands, whether they are athletes or participants. The the coach having a terrible, ter- terrible day directly impacts other people. And within our sports context, a lot of the money and, and everything else is based on whether it's participation numbers or it's increasing, improving performance. So our financials as sporting organizations that directly depends on more focus on the on the participant, whether they're athletes or at a, a participation level. Um, equally, in a leisure and fitness context, you know that football through the door, people coming back to the classes. That's how people make their money. So, the room for coaches to have an off day or instructors to to try something a bit outside of the box, which may or may not work. Um, feels quite high risk even in the voluntary context and and that's part of the complexity of what we're dealing with so like someone flying a plane you know they are responsible for a lot of other people um and so if they have a a bad day or make a bad decision it, it can be catastrophic for lots of lots of other people so how do we allow people the safe space to practice and fail and learn as you describe um but without making it so sterile and decontextualized, they, it doesn't actually represent what they're going to go and do. So that's where it, it weaves into the bigger picture of who is a coach and what do we want them to do and what do we expect of them and how do we look after them? And, whoa, it's just suddenly mushrooms, isn't it? It does. I love that knowledge. I've written it down, like flying a plane, because I, I tend to talk about it like... Um, you know, teaching somebody to ride a horse is like, is like coach education because the rider is influencing the horse, whether they intend to or not. <laughs> Yeah, they can't. There are repercussions of their behaviour and what they do that affects something else. Um, so I, re- I do really like that with a coach. One of the things I really like about um, you know sort of coaching moving towards being um, much more about sort of creating learning environments and experiences is this idea that you can ha- you know uh, I'm sure you know Stu's got these four quadrants with the safe safe uncertainty safe certainty so you kind of go okay i'm not going to play in the unsafe uncertainty zone that's not a good idea that's quite likely to lead to me crashing the plane yeah. <laughs> and while i'm while i'm you know a, maybe more of a rookie coach it's nice to have some handrails and i think one of the challenges at the moment is moving those handrails away from error correcting to a technical template to something else what would the handrail what would 
more appropriate handrails maybe look like for a coach to work with with a session and I don't think we've quite got the the answer yet there but some of the representative learning design stuff I think is is going you know is possibly will be fruitful um you know so so that there's enough handrails for them to be able to experiment in in a safe way the other thing that's interesting for me on that is that as as coach developers um you, you have to understand the person that you're working with so you you if you were my coach developer um I am much more comfortable in the interpersonal the relationship space um I'm much more comfortable there I'm much less comfortable in a practice design context so where you would need to nudge me and what feels unsafe for me might for somebody else be their bread and butter so it's it's understanding my perceptions of safety and certainty from me as the coach and then thinking for you as the coach developer where might I need to shine a light on something different that that Lucy's not going to because we will we will have our preferences and I'm sure there's lots of people who who talk about practice design because that's the comfortable with the space that they're in and they find it interesting and fascinating but actually there could be gains to be made if they looked somewhere else and we're probably a bit like that so that's the skill of the coach developer to figure out yeah. Who's that person that you're working with? Which, Where do we go? Yeah, I, which is making me think, get to a point has always has been something that I'm curious about having an effect of is that um, maybe what we feel more comfortable with or what a lot of women feel more comfortable with isn't exactly the same as what most of the guys who perhaps are already in the coaching world feel more comfortable with. You know, the, the, this, this idea that actually if we've got you know, an entire coaching structure that's predominantly in some sports, predominantly it's being developed by men within and within a sporting context. It, the coach developers, the coach educators, the coach trainers, the assessors, the people written, the, the, the um, materials often share a view of the world. And then anyone, female or other cultures or other backgrounds that don't sit in that, then you know, find it harder to feel included within that. So their, like you say, their safe space and their, the places where they feel more comfortable or more confident aren't necessarily going to match. And a, and a, a conversation that really stuck with me many years ago was with um, a, a friend of mine who just failed a mountain leader assessment. So that's a, you know, taking people out on, into the mountains. And she said to me that she made a decision to not go to a summit, a particular summit, because of one of the members of the group who was really struggling. And she just thought that their needs as an individual and sort of in terms of motivation and their well-being were greater than, you know, how important it was to actually summit. And she was failed because I thought that she bottled out doing the hard thing. Yeah. Uh, it's, really, it's really interesting. I was reading a book the other day and um, it made reference to about something about the, the most of, and it comes to how we reward people, most of our accolades are for the people who, um, the leaders who take people through the store and they survive the home and come out the other side and they're a hero in this hero's journey, as opposed to the person who just went round the storm. So, you, you know, you're in a boat, you take a two-day detour to, because you see there's bad weather coming through. You, you you will not get the same kind of response as somebody who goes through the storm and comes out the other side. So we kind of um, disincentivize that uh, 
that approach. So, <clears throat> yeah, I, I see that. Yeah. Yeah, so that, like I said, there's, there's then sort of all the way through that system and having more people, women and other people represented at all different levels within sort of like the coaching, the wider coaching system, the coaching ecosystem. So, yeah. Uh, seems more important so that that is um has a, a wider um a, a inclusivity awareness of, of differences i i started asking more questions <laughs> why did you yeah. make the decision it became a much more important question for me after that conversation <laughs> yeah yeah why did you make that decision what was your intention um just trying to understand and deal with things less in a right and a wrong and understand that we can't we're not really in a position to um go back and do it again because what you're experiencing in that moment right there in with all your senses is is what you think is the right decision it's like an athlete you know you can't understand why someone's mistrapped a hockey ball because you're not them so you can have a conversation with them what did you see how did it feel what were you thinking they might be able to answer some of that stuff they might not you can provide some stimulus from what you saw from your perspective, which was outside of them, but you can't go back and do it again. So uh, (laughs) it would be a different experience. (laughs) It would be a different experience because if you went back and did it again, you would be a different person. So it would be a different person making that decision because that person who made that decision no longer exists. Because as soon as she's gone through that experience, she's someone else. Um, so it can get quite philosophical, sorry. <laughs> no, it's but this is it's so important. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I do you just I, I'm smiling because I remember being eight and a half months pregnant and saying to a friend of mine, Oh god, I can't wait to be back to normal. And she was just like, mm, no. <laughs> yeah. Tomorrow you will be a different person. Whatever happens. <laughs> yeah. Can't go yeah, back. No. And I think that's it's part of about how we help help coaches to manage themselves as well. I know I, as a coach, have a terrible habit of ruminating and wishing, oh, I should have said that. Should, you know, replaying whole conversations that have gone and re, just replaying and replaying. And it, you need to let the pressure off yourself a little bit sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I I find uh, if it's like that I, I sort of write stuff down and I think if I need to go back to it it's there but then I can empty it out of my head it's just yeah <laughs> otherwise I do the same thing <laughs> I just keep thinking yeah. um okay so I'm I, I don't want to take up masses of your time and I could probably talk to you for days because this is really one of my um I think it's a subject that's so important but I think it'd be really useful um, just to, to see if you you do have any ideas about where where you think we and I use we as in you know the whole of the UK, everybody, all all the people that are involved in in whichever bits. What what would maybe be the most useful or important things for starting to change that inclusivity in the coaching world? Yeah. I think the first place is is for each person to be a bit more curious about their own context, their environment, and the established traditions, and see if they can unearth um, the hidden barriers. So I suppose like we described, you know, you're saying about the number of female coach educators or coach developers 
um, that for a lot of the sports, you have to have a certain level of qualification to be a coach developer or a coach educator. Well, immediately, who, who's in that pool of people? That, so you, you, you're shrinking it, and do they really need to? Um, I don't know the answer. It's not a judgment statement. It's just a question. So to start to ask those things, what are in the job descriptions that we're putting on? When are people expected to work? Um, where are the training? What training do people actually need to have? What is the content of that training? Has it delivered? We've got really good now at using online. Where does online learning feature in our in our offer to people from different backgrounds, whether that's women or people with disabilities or whatever it might be? Um, have the conversation with more people. What I've noticed is that I guess I no, didn't feel like I was doing this alone, but felt like this was definitely a personal charge and I was banging the drum and then I put something out into the world and suddenly I've been absolutely overwhelmed with amazing people saying I care about this too and that's wicked and I think that's that's where we just keep going because if everybody keeps having the conversation keeps doing whatever is it within your gift and some of us are in a position where we can influence national fundings towards stuff like I, I'm very fortunate and I can have that conversation and we can draw inspiration from things like this girl can to think about what could we do, um, how can we use our people, we'll be eventually thinking about that really, really local environment and, and we need all of it. We need, we need all the pieces together. It, we can't wait for it to come top down or bottom up. It needs to be everybody tidying their own back garden, whatever that means for them. So first yeah. steps, I yeah. first steps be curious about what's around you and, and really critically appraise uh, the taken for granted and see if you can unearth some hidden barriers that, that you perhaps haven't looked at before thank you I think you know one of the things that I took away from the conversations last Friday were these hidden barriers and how different they were in different contexts and different sports and, and you know ones that I you know, like in rugby, it was something I hadn't even thought of, you know. So, and, and this is something I've been thinking about for 30 odd years, like I said, and I was still surprised at how, how much complexity there was in some of the other environments that I had no, no idea about. Yeah, and that, that's why I suppose for me it's about helping every. you know, my job is to help everybody to investigate their own environment, to trust them to do a good job of that and then see how I can be helpful um, it's to seed some ideas and get people to think creatively and, and just like you would as a coach like you, you want to empower people to problem solve because they're the experts in their domain and a one size fits nobody approach isn't very helpful um, and it's not to say that targeted interventions with certain cohorts of women don't work because they definitely do and they're definitely part of it And but I feel like that's, that should just be our general offer there should be in existence female-only coaching opportunities, female-only coaching qualifications. There should also be online learning offers. There should, there should be a mixed bag of all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, if, we're really, if we're going to make a seismic shift, we need to start to really interrogate what's, what's actually up at the minute and who's it yeah. proportionally affecting and yeah, who's it working really well for and why and where, where is it working really well and what about those. So if you can find people who are doing it well go and talk to them and look for what are the absolute gems of what they're doing. Um, 
I, I like the idea of a seismic shift. I think one of the one of the things that has frustrated me in the past is seeing some of the um, the initiatives as bolt-ons. So they don't actually change any of the underlying structure. They sort of get added to it as though, you know, everything else is actually fine as it is, but we just need to flag up something. But, um, yeah, I, I like that idea that, that, you know, like you say, that it should be a red flag if, if there isn't that representation. Yeah. And that's why it's... Uh, it's it's there's definitely some something to be learned from the way that we approach sports and physical activity participation mm. and, um, in how we might do something differently with coaching brilliant and thank you very very much for for joining me i think i, I have a feeling that part two might be good a little bit further down the line and uh, if anyone's listening and they haven't had a look at the at the blog I really recommend that you do so and uh, and also uh, find the conversation on UK coaching on the open it's on the community site and there's some great stuff there definitely one place to start in terms of uh, being curious and having conversations with other people so thank you very much Lucy thank you Marion and if anybody does want to um, reach out please do find me um, this is going to be an ongoing conversation we're trying to start a bit of a movement and um, yeah let's Let's keep it going. Brilliant. What's, what's the best way to find you, Lucy, if people want to, to reach out and get in touch with you? So either on Twitter, I'm fairly active on there, at, at LuckyMore15, or through the Connected Coaches thing. I obviously posted up the original article, so look on the Connected Coaches area, um, or reach out via LinkedIn probably is the best way. Okay, brilliant. Join us at ukcoaching.org. Whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve, we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you.